Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, driver's recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Dado's my name. And I tell you what, each week I try and bring you a new character from the game of golf. And one of the biggest characters is Gary Smokey Dawson. He's an order of Australia. He's raised, gee whiz, it's definitely closer to $30 million than $20 million for charities. And he's done it all through playing golf. So um, corporate golf days, uh, charity golf days, and... Uh, Marathon golf days, marathon golf weeks, uh, lots and lots of different things. He's a brilliant human being, like a genuine, genuine giver uh, with a good insight into the game. And he's played with lots of different people, some famous. If you've been involved in a golf day in a corporate sense, there's a very, very good chance that Gary's had his fists and his guts and his heart all over it. So this is Gary Dawson, um, a great Australian, and we start off with his beginning in the game of golf. So was it always golf for you, like for, from the very beginning? Uh, uh, not really. I, I remember my old man when he was alive, he, he used to get me to sit with him on a Thursday night and we used to watch the pro-celebrity golf uh, Glenn Eagles and Peter Ellis was a commentator and Tony Jacklin and maybe Tony Gregg were playing in part pairs with against um, Johnny Miller and maybe it might have been Lee Trevino playing in it as well and, and another Sean Connery might have been playing. And I, I said to the old man one day, I wouldn't mind doing that for a job and he just laughed at me. Yeah. So, well, saying, so then it wasn't, it wasn't his idea but it was certainly partly your idea. Oh, look, I dabble with a lot of sports. I mean, my father played 
high-level soccer in England. He played for a team called Tramia Rovers, which a lot of people don't know about, but um, it's a, it was a fairly good team. Um, second division team now, I think, or maybe third division, but he was first division back in his time. And then, yeah, so I, I did running, swimming, just everything. And all my mates were playing golf at school and I took it up sort of like last year of high school and I ran, went into a, a schoolboy tournament with a borrowed set of clubs and ran second. So the old man got me a, a golf lesson down at Avondale with a guy named Lem Woodward. And he said to me, uh, hit your five iron to the base of this tree. So I hit maybe half a dozen shots to the base of the tree and he said, you're not gripping it right. And I went, what? Okay. <laughs> so it, that was classic. And then he gave me that lesson and then um, I went away from the lesson and I think I shanked the ball for the next six months just using his his theory of not gripping it right after I'd, I'd been doing okay. So I went back to my old ways and pretty well stayed the same since. I get yes. people giving me lessons from time to time, but I try and keep it steady. Now you're you're a scratch golfer now. Yeah, I know you. Have, I know you've had your shoulder done and things, which sort of messed with you a little bit. Um, yeah, did, that's been twelve months of misery. Yeah, when you went, well, let's have a nice show. Let's have a fun show. Um, when yes, you, it is. When, when you were younger, so you went and yeah. saw this this guy for the um, the shanking lesson. Um, yes. Did you have ideas then of becoming a golf professional? Uh, no, not at all. So you've I never think, thought um, about it. You've never thought about being a pro. No, not not in that 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 term. Not back then. I thought no, it's not going to work. It, um, but then I, I I remember doing something for Peter Hatfield at a school, and we we're talking about chasing a dream and and doing the things you should be doing. And I I remember telling the kids that they should be doing exactly what they they're dreaming to do, and and don't let waste an opportunity. And I remember leaving that school, and I think Ian Thorpe was actually at that school. It was a sports school down in East, East Hills. And I went out and left that school, and I went, well, I'm actually a contradiction of everything I'm telling these kids to do. So I pretty well scrapped everything I was doing and just went and pursued the golfing career, which was good. Okay. So I just want to be clear on this, Gary. Are you saying that your visit to that school inspired Ian Thorpe to become one of our greatest ever swimming champions? 100% not. <laughs> mate, mate, I think uh, any. I don't think um, I don't even know whether he was at that school at the time. He probably was swimming for a national team, but I know that that's where he went. I think yeah, right. he still sports high. Yeah. But whether he was in the class that I spoke spoke at, I doubt it. Yeah, I'm um, just. But I I could say yes, he was, but I, I doubt it very much no, because he I'm would gonna, have stood out. I'm sure. I'm obviously joking. So, yes, <laughs> I mean, you haven't taken much, yeah. All right, so let, so when you say you went for a goal, or actually, before we get to that, what was the what was your grip or what is your grip issue and what was to be corrected? Oh, I think he, he wanted my left hand to be a little bit stronger. And I, and I thought, okay, but having a stronger left hand meant that I would have to have a, a weaker right hand. And so I'd always had a stronger right hand grip versus my left hand. So I'd had this thumb pretty well straight down the shaft, but he he wanted me to almost turn it over like Bernard Langer has his grip because Bernard Langer's got a strong left grip, if okay. you notice. No, I haven't noticed. I actually don't look at pro golfers' grips. Is that one of the things that it takes to be to be actually really good? No, I just think it's, it's just rhythm. I think that's the key for any good golf swing is just having good rhythm. Any good sportsman you see, they have great timing and great rhythm. 
and they've all got different. If you go to the driving range, and as you've done for many years with Gowie, you you go to a driving range at a tournament, and you see the different golfers how they swing the ball. Not all of them have got the same swing speed or their, their techniques completely different, but they've got one thing in common: it's great timing. Yeah, that's the key. So, I mean, part of your business that you've you know really excelled at is the corporate golf and corporate golf days, and um, you must see all manner of golf swings at those events. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and, and it's it's really it's actually really good because you can actually fix people quite quickly. Um, and only just recently, you know, I've been playing a lot of magenta because um, obviously for lockdowns, but it's been really good. And I've been playing, I've played with a guy who you probably wouldn't know, remember, you may remember, a guy named Colin Kay. Now, he won our Australian Amateur Championship back in 1980. He's represented Australia seven times in Eisenhower Cup. And a good player, mid-70s now, and he's off 18 handicap. You can tell that he's been a really good golfer, but he was struggling with his chipping and putting. You know, I said to him one day, I said, before maybe I played with him last week, and I said to him, come to the chipping green before we go out and we'll just go and have a, a quick lesson. And I spent three minutes with him. That's all I needed to do because, I mean, basically he has great technique and I just gave him a couple of things to do and he, and he had 39 points. And he was over the moon, but it was just a little adjustment that wasn't technical, but it's, it's just been able to see. I, I like to not be too technical with the way I teach people. I just like to keep things simple, message simple, yeah. because then they get better quicker. And so what was the what was the tip that you gave him? I mean, it's really interesting. So he's the Australian mm-hmm. Amateur Champion. And back in 1980. Back in 1980. Well, I understand. But, like, he'd be one of those – he'd know the game, right? He's like – Oh, look, you can tell. You can tell the way they – you can tell a great player, the way they hit the ball, their timing, their, it's just impeccable. And basically he was lining up everything really close to the, the heel of his putter and also the also the hosel of his um, wedges. And I just got him to actually line everything up on the toe rather than on the heel. And by doing that, it, it didn't cramp him up so much because he was getting quite cramped and he was sort of yipping the shots. Mm. He was sort of getting to the, playing the shot and then he was sort of jumping at the ball. And by doing that, it was just a lot, a lot better. You could just see that it was a lot more fluid. So actually, so, like, just so moving away from the ball, what, an inch and a half? Was, yeah, so it was lining up the it was lining the ball up on the toe of the putter rather than the in the puzzle of the putter and lining up the so it's an it's almost for somebody that's struggling with their chipping you just get them to line the ball up on the shiny part of the club on the on the wedge or sandwich and basically that gets the ball floating up a little bit higher okay. so you've got the grooves in the club you get them to line it up on the shiny part. Yeah, and right. it just gets it to come out a lot slower, well, a lot softer. And and and, but so to be clear, you're not a golf pro. You've just been a you're no. just a very, and I don't mean this. You're not just a very, but you're a very good golfer who works with lots and lots and lots of amateurs. So you're sort of yeah. a, an almost a, a pro by default. Correct. That's right. exactly right. So got all the right qualifications, but um, I haven't gone through the PGA program itself. But, you know, I probably have a lot to, to teach some of the guys that are in that PGA program what, how to keep things very simple. Charlie Herb said to me one day, he, he spent the day with me in a car, and he said, Smokey, he said, you, the way you explain the golf swing is so, so much the way I do it. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's simple and you get results straight away. 
So I can't get any better accolade from the great the great Charlie Earth. Yeah, yeah. So do you think it's too complicated? Like are we just, I mean, if you go, geez, I don't know, even on Instagram or anything like that, there's a constant barrage of do this, do do this, pull your right hip back, put your, you know, like is it, are we over complicating or is this that everyone wants to have an opinion? Oh, look, I think everyone, I think everyone wants an opinion. And, and you look, the PGA program is amazing. You know what they they do because you do your traineeship, you go through all the all the the business components and also the playing components and also the human movement components. But the biggest thing for me for golf is just to keep it as simple as possible. With any sport, you see the best players in the world. You know, not a lot of technique, not a lot of complications. They've got a, a good routine. So you look at Nick Fowler; he had a great technique. Norman had a great technique. Nick Ahern, probably. Not the the longest hitter in the world, but he is the most consistent player. You know, people used to say to me he was boring, but I said, no, he's fantastic. He's consistent. And that's what you want with golf. You want consistency. Um, And if you can be consistent, and, I mean, he's got an amazing book called Tool Mentality. Yeah. Simple, very simple tips, but tips that are meaningful to the average person, even a tool player, because it gives them good routine. And I think that's just all you need. It's tech, good technique and good routine. Okay. With your uh, with your travel company, obviously you've been fairly well kiboshed for the last two years. How yeah. how difficult has, has the COVID experience been? COVID has been very interesting because it's been hard for, well, anyone that's had any golf travel companies to go overseas, dreadful. Um, mm. Even corporate golf yeah, remember when I, mean, I saw you in Ireland? It was, it was like the weirdest, yeah, the weirdest thing you go. Oh, you know, Smokey. <laughs> exactly. And here we are, literally halfway across the world, and, you, and we you followed have, you all the way around. Yeah, and then you have like a normal conversation, like you see each other all the time, uh, but yeah. in the other side of the world. How are you playing? What's going on? How many points? Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember you barrowing the three hundred meter drive down that first hole too at Zimbabwe. It was a beauty. Don't remember no, that, it. That oh, Which yes, one was Doonbeg? Which one was? That was the Donald Trump course. Oh, uh, that which remains one of the great worst rounds of golf, I think. Big and I'll, I mean, this is about you, not me, but I'll tell you anyway. I played really badly because I was really pissed about being at a Trump thing. I was very down on Trump. And so, and I couldn't reconcile Donald Trump and this beautiful golf course. Then a fog came in across after like nine holes, and I went, "Oh yeah, I'm in Ireland. I'm not in Trump. I'm in Ireland." And then played better. It was weird. Yeah, it was, I mean, golf's a weird game like that. Course. Yeah, beautiful golf course. Beautiful. Reminded me a bit of Barnboogle, but mm. I mean, the good thing, good thing about the COVID hasn't been very positive for the golf industry, but probably for the corporate stuff for us, it's just been dreadful because people can't gather and we're, we're starting to build momentum this year and then obviously you know in the last two or three months we've just been decimated again because everything we had planned for the rest of the, the rest of the year we're basically going to have to postpone until next year which means that next year is going to be really busy and okay. I, realistically I can't see us getting overseas until mid next year I mean I'd like to think that the Masters would be on the cards but I just don't think until all our our states start to cooperate with one another. We're not going to be really getting stuff done, unfortunately. Yeah, which is frustrating for me. 
Yeah, I understand. I mean, I think it's frustrating for everyone. So, um, but, you know, but on the flip side of it, there's also another part of what we do, the charity challenge events. And there are a lot of charities that have really suffered as a result of COVID. And they're the ones that I probably feel sorry for because we might raise close to a million dollars a year for different charities. And that's going to now probably not be a, a case for a couple of years because people just won't have the disposable income they had previously. Yeah. And so it's going back to square one with all that too. Okay. So, I mean, your your charity works pretty, I mean, it's genuinely extraordinary. So you've raised closer to 30 than 20 million for yeah. everything from the New South Wales wheelchair sports to Hearts in Union, Bear Cottage, Special Olympics, Kids Express, Children's Cancer Institute, Ronald McDonald House, um, Cerebral Palsy Alliance. I mean, how do you, I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal, Gary. Like what, what you've achieved is how hard is it to, to ignite the passion in other people to, to share your passion and, and to cough up some money? Oh, look, you know, 30 years ago, that was a, a real hard thing, you know, because um, I think one of the first fundraisers I did was for a guy that had he'd um, broken his neck at a, a, a night at the pub after they'd won a football grand final and all his mates were dangling him upside down and they dropped him on his head in the pub and he became a quadriplegic, and which is terrible. I mean, we'd all cl- we've all clowned around doing silly things and that was sort of... And I remember seeing somebody saying, would you do something? And I remember saying, well, I'll play golf for the weekend from Friday through till Sunday. And that's mm-hmm. what I did back in 1987 or 88. And then we might raise a couple of grand. And then I had some other friends that were in the film industry at the time and they said, oh, would you do something? So we actually raised money for the Paralympics in 1990. And that's, I think I was probably one of the first fundraisers of Paralympics that 30 years ago. Yeah. And you know, to watch now some of the achievements. And I've posted something on Instagram of this guy that was a shot putter um, the other day and he and he basically didn't do as, as well, but he just grabbed his, his single his, his, and, he, and he obviously is an Aussie single. He grabbed the single and said, this is what it means, you know, the shot yeah. put, it means everything and if it wasn't for that. And I thought that's that's sport, you know, that's, that's why we've done what we've done. Matt Laverty and I have sort of now collab- collaborated for the last 25 years, making sure that we can make a difference with people that, you know, less fortunate. And golf golf is a magnificent tool to get people together and and look outside the screw and say, hey, life, life isn't so bad after all. There are people doing it far worse, as we yeah. know. And you, you've been to that aspect of being manly. Yeah. Yeah, times. yeah, and which is a great, uh, a really a great charity. So is, is that where the golf marathons began? Because I remember that I think the first time I heard of you, you were doing I don't know how many. I think you were playing seventy two holes of golf in a day or something. And I was like, geez, like what? How? Uh, there's a few more, a few more, few more than that. I think I, I, I did twenty rounds in a day one time. Okay, that was um, that was uh, that was in Perth back in maybe ninety nine. I think. Um, but before that, sorry, actually, 20 rounds of golf in one day. Yeah, in 24 so you, hours. All right. So, okay. So, how do you, how does that physically happen? Uh, well, you have somebody in a golf cart that's driving next to you, and then you have um, Mike, you have your club sitting in the back of the cart, and they get out of the cart, you run to the ball, hit the ball, and then run to the next hole and keep going and keep playing through the night. So, um, 
So with, Channel with, 7. And you're, and you're playing with global. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, the global. So the, the old globals, when I, I played a week of golf back in 1995, um, and how that came about was uh, in the sports, if you remember why World of Sports and Sports Sunday, um, somebody said to me, Smokey, would you play golf for four days and three nights? And I said, yeah, of course. And I turned up on the Monday morning and there was this little kid from Camperdown Children's Hospital at the time. She was six, had a leg amputated. And um, and that sort of catches you off guard because that's quite confronting, meeting yeah. a, a little kid, bald head, you know. And so I greeted her and then we we hit off and we, we played for about 36 hours straight. And then they did a follow-up story and they brought the little girl out, Megan, and mum and dad came out with the brother and I was playing a hole and it was probably pitch black and it had the glow balls, but the old glow balls used to have a little stick in the middle of them. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Michael Maher, when he was alive, he had journo from my world of sports, he came up to me and he said, oh, Smokey, how are you going? I said, oh, really good. He said, um, you're 36 hours into this. He said, you've got another 36 to go. He said, you know, are you going to get over it? And he said, yeah, of course. And then this little Megan, um, the mother said to to Megan, she said, tell Smokey what you wanted to tell him on the way over in the car. And she said, um, Smokey, we just want to let you know that all the kids at Camperdown Children's Hospital think what you're doing is amazing. We can't thank you enough. You're our hero. And I just looked at all my mates who were with me mm. and they were just quite quite taken back from a little girl telling me what a good bloke I was. and Because no one's ever said it before. Hero. Sorry? Because no one's ever said it before. <laughs> Correct, absolutely what? correct. Finally, <clears throat> finally, somebody said that, but it yeah. was just. But I, I remember turning to Mick and just I said, "Well, he said, well, how do you respond to that?" And I said, "Well, mate, if I ever I needed a second wind, mm. I said this little girl's just given it to me." Yeah, wow. And so, yeah, I mean, it was quite confronting. And then uh, about a year later, she got cancer again, and she passed away. And and I said to him. A lot of the guys were pretty upset and they said, would you do that fundraiser again? I said, yeah, why don't we just play a 1,000 holes of golf? And and the guy said, no, you won't do 1,000 holes of golf. And I said, okay, let's do it. So the following year or maybe two years later, I think on the 8th of May 1995, I started off at Northbridge and on the 15th of May 1995, the following week, I played seven days and seven nights of golf. Right, but thirteen or fourteen hours sleep. Yeah, right. So when week. do you sleep? What? What? How, how does it actually work? Oh, you just you sleep when you get tired. But right. I, I think I'd got it in my head that I'd play <laughs> from Monday. You sleep after twelve holes. Yeah. <laughs> so I got it in. I got it in my head. The goal was to get to Wednesday and have a three-hour sleep. So I got to Wednesday morning at about eight o'clock. Stopped, had something to eat. Had a sleep for about two and a half, three hours, then got up and played from Wednesday, bit after lunchtime, through till Thursday night, about ten o'clock, and then had a seven-hour sleep. And then I got up on the Friday morning, played from Friday morning early through till Saturday night, pretty late, and then had another seven-hour sleep. And then I played from Sunday morning early all the way through to the Monday, and that was the week done. Yeah, right. So sixty-seven rounds later, yeah, sort of. Was what, what did you shoot? Uh, they said I averaged seventy-one and a bit per round for the entire week, which 
with the old golf balls, that was that wasn't too bad. But yeah, it's just. But you know, I, I, a good mate of mine, we we're on a Zoom call last night, and we were talking about it. And the one thing I hate people doing is a gimme. So not one part was given to me in that that week. And I remember there was a few journals because we we um, when America got beaten in the America's Cup by New Zealand. Um, there was a, the back page of the New Zealand New Zealand Herald was obviously front page of New Zealand Herald was about the sports thing of um, America's Cup being won by New Zealand. Finally, on the back page, I was actually sharing the back page of the New Zealand Herald. Wow. And I had a mate, mate who was a flight attendant for Qantas. He opened his door at the hotel in New York and said, "Hey, Smokey, you're on the back of the New York Times." So it was just it was quite bizarre how far and wide that that actually travelled. Yeah. Um, but a week of golf, you know, it's it's punishing on your feet. I lost feeling in my feet for about 18 months well. because, yeah. But, you know, the good it did for other people, I think it just inspires people to do other stuff. And then in Perth at Channel 7 Telethon, they got, got behind it and wanted me to do something for 24 hours, which is a lot easier, and that's when I played, you know, 20 rounds in 24 hours, and that was pretty cool. I mean, it had... Um, I think the fastest round I did was 41 minutes. I shot one over, three putted the last for one over. I was pretty annoyed about that. <laughs> so how do you how do you go now when you're playing just regular golf and you know the blokes in front of you oh, taking? Yeah, it's like Jesus Christ, guys, 41 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's it's quite funny. I, I've got um, I played Terry Hills maybe with Matt Riley, the author, mm. maybe about four or five years ago. No, it would be longer than that, ten years ago, and I got pinged for slow play. <laughs> I did get ping. I got pinged for slow play because the group in front of us was um, pretty slow and then they surged away from us. And then I remember John Harrison coming into the clubhouse and saying, Smokey, no, we're going to have to disqualify you for slow play. And I said, really? I said, my old man would be looking down from, from up above, just giggling, laughing that I got pulled up for slow play. Wait, because- so what, do you, what do you think it is that it's almost a phenomenon, isn't it, that you can have people in front of you really slow all day and they get to 17 and take off and then you're saying they're going, what? Where'd they yeah. go? And, you know, and then you look like the, um, the, the devil. people. Yeah. Yeah. So because I actually played four rounds at Terry Hills, Macquarie Bank um, had a corporate day in early the early 2000s and they agreed to sponsor me $500 a hole that I played in the in their corporate day. So I played 72 holes in four and a half hours on foot and they gave me 500 bucks a hole. So 18,000 bucks went to Sporting Chance Cancer Foundation and the other 18,000 went to Cerebral Palsy Alliance. Right. But that's why my old man was laughing because my fastest round at Terry Hills on foot was 56 minutes. Right. So to get pinged for slow play was just funny. And so you're not, you're not doing... <laughs> You're not doing the marathon golf anymore, are you? That sort of, no, you, no, what did you grow no, out no, of it all? I look, you know, common sense prevailed. I think I, the last one I did was for um, with, was for Channel Channel 7 and, and to the Johnny Walker Classic. Yep, yep. Because they wanted me to do that, which was which was good. I mean, it, it was funny because I play with Fowler and Goose and, and – um, and I remember Fowler saying, oh, this speed golf, mate, what's your cart use? And, and McCaddy said, no, he doesn't use a cart. He actually runs. And he said, what's your average? And, and McCaddy told him what I averaged, you know, 73 and a bit per round for the 24 hours. And um, I said to him, I said, out of all the majors you won, Nick, I said, what would be your favourite? And he said, beating Norman and Augusta in 96. And I said, see all these people following us, Nick. 
I think you're a prick as well. <laughs> so, and, he, and he just looked at me and gave me the look of shaking his, his shoulders and saying, well, I don't really care. But the following year I saw him and, and I was playing with Justin Rose and Nick Ahern and a fellow came out of the hotel and he said, hey, Smokey, are you still doing some of that charity stuff? I said, yeah, I am. He said, I should try and help. And unbeknownst to me, they had Johnny Walker used to have this lavish masquerade ball at um, Burzman Casino. And Fellow got up on stage and said, Ernie and I have been having a chat over dinner and we want to help Smokey in the charity, the telethon appeal. So we need a couple of playing partners up at Blue Canyon next year. And the Johnny Walker Classic was always a, a big secret where the following year was meant to be. And then he went, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And so they started doing the auction. And Jeff Newman, who you remember from the, yeah, the weather, yeah, the weather man, yeah. He did the auction and he, he started at about five or six thousand dollars. And um Fallow grabbed the microphone and said, Hey, listen, guys, we're not doing this in Aussie dollars, we're doing this in US dollars. And uh and so as a consequence of that, Fallow went for twenty thousand US dollars and yes. Ernie went for thirty thirty thousand US dollars, and Johnny Walker matched that bid dollar for dollar. But the good thing was the Aussie dollar was only 40, worth 48 cents that back then, so it worked out to be about 170 grand for the telephone appeal. And and so the, the obvious question is, how did Faldo feel about being um, beaten by Ernie for, by $10,000 as a <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't think he would really care. I think, you know, he great spirit. The guy was just a fantastic guy. And, and you know, a lot of Faldo sort of can be quite polarising for a lot of people, but I remember yeah. him saying he he saw my son Bryce and he said, um, he said, who's this little bloke? And he said, it's my, my young bloke Bryce. He said, well, he's my man for the next few days. And fellow took Bryce everywhere, which was fantastic. Okay. Hey, so. how did you find playing with him and um, Retief? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Intimidating, we'd say. A bit similar to you playing Cathedral Lodge when you had to get that shot down that par three with Norman watching. It's no problem. That was similar, mate. That, mate, that was a performance. I was acting. Yeah. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> but it, it is quite, quite, you just sort of think, why am I here? It's sort of, but, I mean, you wouldn't be there if you didn't deserve to be there, but it was just the fact that, you're playing you're the third, just just to be just to sorry to, um you're the third banana in the in the group the, in the corporate yeah. group yeah well between between the three of us we'd won eight majors so I suppose that's pretty good yeah right well done 
yeah, two US Opens, two Masters, three Masters and three three yeah. Opens, none yeah. which which were mine at all. But, you know, it was a great privilege. And, in, you know, Retief was a really terrific guy. I mean. Was he? You know, yeah, really, yep, really quite calm. Yeah. But probably only three people I've ever heard a golf ball sound different when it's been hit. Mm. Retief was one of them, had that sizzle. Justin Rose was the other, and obviously Brett Oval back in yeah. his day. I mean, those three guys, the sound the golf ball makes when it comes off the club is just different to everyone else I've heard. Let, let's go back to Retief being quite calm. Is that he was was he very quiet? He was it, quiet. Did he talk? Yeah, at he all? was quiet. He was quiet until Fallow and I had a bit of banter, and then he started sort of having a bit of a giggle as well. Yeah, okay. Because um, Fallow was sort of he wasn't putting so well. And I remember saying to, I, I didn't realise I'd said it as loud as I did say it, but I remember saying, how did he win six majors putting like that? Yeah, right. To how did that go? Well, he missed the putt and um, he he looked up at me and, and as you do, dropped the ball and flicked it away because Fanny was catting for him and he came over and he basically called me a cheeky Australian, you know, like, yeah. And Retief was looking down trying not to laugh. But, you know, what? from that point it sort of broke that ice and, yeah. you know, we just had a lot of fun. But there were two wonderful people. They're very yeah. different. Yeah. You know, you know, Fellow's just a very colourful person in terms of just how he performs. But, yeah, Retief, just a solid. You could just see why he won two US Opens. Yeah. Just, we- just crazy. I played with him once in, a, um, in the Pro-Am. For whatever, I think I was working for Channel Seven, so he got a start, and he was our pro. And he only he probably said about nine words for the day. The first was hello, the last was goodbye, and <laughs> the, and the only other words were something like it's one hundred and seventy five meters from that marker, and that was it. That was really? all he said. Yeah, it was amazing. He also shot sixty four. Like. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, but you know, but he was, yeah. He. That's why I say we, when you when you say he was he was quiet. He literally just. Anyway, it was pretty amazing to watch him play. I think you. I think people you've people will treat you the way you treat them, and I think if you're pretty relaxed with them, mm. I think they'll be relaxed with you, and I think that's you know because Fowler's not everyone's cup of tea, from what I've been told. But you know, for me, he's. He helped me raise one hundred and sixty odd thousand bucks for a charity. So yeah. for me, he's always going to be just top notch because he did the right thing. He he used something that he's good at and made a bit of a difference and a bit similar to what we all, you and I, can do as well. We can use what we're good at to help other people. I mean, you know, sometimes that's not a bad thing to do. Mm. You know, it's you can be. I think it's a privilege that we've got. And I remember a mate of mine saying to me one day, he said, you know, Smokey, when you ask me to help you, I'm not, I'd be really annoyed that you didn't ask me because if if you don't ask, it's your fault and the charity suffers because you don't ask. Yeah. And I, went, I never thought of it in that way, that if you've got the capacity to ask and you don't ask, because I'm a pretty bad asker for favours. I'm a better giver of things. It's yeah. easy, easy to give things to people and say yes, but it's hard to ask for stuff. Um, so... I'm pretty – It was. A, I always think of that, those wise words that he told me, um, and he can't remember telling me, but I always say the reason why I sometimes ask is because you told me 
that it was my fault and the charity <laughs> would suffer because of, you know, you're not asking. Yeah, and he goes, oh, no, no, I never said that. There's someone else. Let's stop asking. Let me go. Yeah. Hey, Gary, let me ask you this. What is it about the game of golf that's so special? Game of golf is special because every level, no matter what level of or standard of golfer you are, you can play with a, a professional golfer. You can play with a – you can be the worst golfer in the world and still play with the world number one because the handicap system so – should be fair. It doesn't always work out that way, but the handicap system gives you the opportunity to to almost match it with somebody that's world number one golfer if the handicap system is working. Yeah. But you can't do that in any other sport, I don't think. There's no other sport that you could go and play with a, a number one player in the world and be competitive, whereas <laughs> golf you can. What What's the addiction of the game then? I mean, so that aside, that you can play with anyone or against anyone. I think it's it- just to get better. Yeah. I think everyone wants to get better. They'll always have that one shot and they go, oh, they'll go into the pro shop or they'll go into the clubhouse with their mates and go, you wouldn't believe it. I missed that putt on 18 or whatever <laughs> it may be. You know, or, yeah. you know, I can't believe I shanked it. You know, I was 100 metres out and I shanked it into the, into the trees or, you know, I was standing on 18 and I had 40, you know, I was level par and then I hooked it into the trees. But, I had 11. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but, it, I mean, that's... But that's that's the beauty of golf because there's no consistent. You, you you think you've got to beat and then it'll beat you back because and that's and it's a, a test of character. I think it just you can see how people behave in life, how they behave on the golf course too. You can see how they behave under pressure, how they might manipulate things that might not necessarily be right. You know, keep the ball out from under the tree, but you know, but it's it's great. It's, it's so a great is, game. So for people who are new to the game, for instance, or even people who have been around it for a, a long, long time and sort of, um, I don't know, maybe being blasé about it, what's the what What do they need to to know or remember? Or I mean, you've been playing the game for 40, 40, 40, 40 years. years, right? Yeah, that's you right. Know? It's a long I mean, time. Just turned yeah, 50. What, yeah, what is it that just keeps you coming back and back and back? <clears throat> I think it's a challenge to actually be better than yesterday. And I always remember Sergio's taglines, um, today I played better than yesterday, here's to tomorrow. And I think that's a really good line to remember. So today I played better than yesterday, here's to tomorrow. So he's basically so, saying tomorrow you'll play better than today. Yeah. So in when you're mid-round and it's all gone pear-shaped, what do you, how do you get yourself back? Oh, I, I set myself little challenges like, I try and say, rightio, let's finish even par for the last six. If you've you've had dusty holes, like you know, I played today and didn't wasn't up to my peak, but you know, this time last week at forty three points, so you just sort of ebb and flow. You just, but that's part of the game, and so you just got to set yourself little goals. If you if you work out that all the top professional golfers they might average ten or eleven greens in regulation for a round, so the rest of the time. They're getting up and down. So I think the, probably the most underutilised skill in the game is the short game, the putting. And you use the putter more than any other club in the bag, and yet it's probably the most underused club in practice. Mm. And I think if you can set yourself a goal for 25 to 26 putts per round, you're going to lose your lose your and drop your handicap very quickly. That's okay. the first thing, go to the putting green. How, how often do you change your putter? Uh, I don't. What have you got? I like to keep it. I've got an Odyssey putter. Um, 
And I found it actually in Arizona. Um, we went, we took a group to the Masters and and when we went to Arizona, there's a big superstore there. And and I remember going, everyone was, you know, it was like kids in the toy shop. And I, I thought the last thing I really want to do is go to a golf shop. So I went to the putting green and I, I picked up this putter and I went, this actually feels really good. And I said to myself, I didn't tell anyone else, I said to myself, if I sing 10 putts in a row with this thing, I'll buy it. And I did. So, and I remember Matt Laverty saying to me, I walk into the counter and AVX had just brought out their new Titleist ball. And he said, what are you buying a putter for? You get them for nothing, Smokey. And I said, you know what? It's very rarely you pick up a putter and go, wow, that feels really good. And one of the things I've found with putting, I think the big fat grips have ruined a lot of good players' putting strokes. I think people have now become too handsy. And I've, I'm trying to encourage people to use the, the smaller grip because in the thinner grip, because I think you get better feel out of the, the putter than the big fat grips because what it does, it might take your hands out of it, but it takes away the weight from the, the putter head as well. And so you lose that feel. And so, you know, I remember Justin Rose was a phenomenal. When I played with him, he was a phenomenal putter. And now I look at him and he's a terrible putter because he's got the claw going and I just go, but it's because... The grip, the, you're using these fat grips. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that's helpful. Oh, it's definitely worth something to think about, Gary. Before people leave the game, and we'll, and we'll leave it on this one, what should they experience from the game of golf? Like, so before you rack your clubs for that last time, whether you get to choose <laughs> to or not, what, what, what should you have I done? would say go to St Andrews. I think anyone that's played the game, and any, any most important people in the history of the game have been to St Andrews and they've played St Andrews. And I think that is something that everyone should aspire to just once. And I remember <clears throat> last week talking to Colin, we were talking about golf courses, his favourite golf course, and he said, St Andrews. And I said, yeah, the St Andrews is my favourite as well. It's not the best golf course in the world, but it's just the history. Mm. When you walk down that first hole, it's just phenomenal. When you walk up 17 and 18, you know that the greats of the game have walked up those holes and, you know, put them in the yeah. in the bunkers there or... Yeah, <clears throat> it's hard It's hard not to actually have a little sort of pretend with yourself and here he comes uh, to, to win the Open, to, you know, like it's... A, it's and what did you shoot there at the St Andrews? What's your best score there? 76 was the best I had there. Wow. So that was... Um, yeah, I didn't putt so good, but <laughs> fat grip. But you know what? Just standing on the tee is yeah. a history. You get quite emotional just being there. You yeah. look around and you just go, "Wow, this place, the history." You know that. And I saw a photo the other day with Jack Nicholas, Ray Floyd, um, Tom Watson, and Arnold Palmer on the on the Swilkenburn Bridge. And I think you know what? They're the memories that I had from when yeah. I was a young kid watching golf. You just wanted to do that, wanted to be there. It's interesting. So I think maybe if we all sort of did that at our own golf clubs as well and whatever tea and said the history, because it, we, every club's got a history. Every club's had a Correct. moment. Everyone's everywhere's had. So, you know, so the times when it's giving us the shits or, you know, just actually go, hang on a second. I'm not the first person to stand here and go through this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's nice. History of the game is good. It's probably something that the young pros aren't taught enough of. Yeah. Um, I remember Wayne Grady saying to me 
um, maybe five or six years ago, that he said that the young players now don't understand the history of the game and the people that have come before them. And I, I think that's a he's got a valid valid point there. Yeah, it's really important to have people you look up to. So young young guys, I hope would look up to Adam Scott and Jason Day, and then. You know, the Cameron Smiths, the young kids coming through now will look at Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman as being the, you know, the people who, and even Nick Ahern and Peter Senior. I mean, they're, yeah. they're all people that you should go, wow, they were really great examples of good Australian golfers. I want to be a bit better. I wonder if you have to be older to realise that the young people are not looking at history the way they should have been. And I wonder if every generation's done much the same thing. Hey, Gary, look, we'll leave it there. I just want to say thanks very much for your time for what you've done for the game of golf has been absolutely phenomenal and for the charities and um, you know, you're an order of Australia and you know, if there was more that you could be, I, I'm, I'm sure you would be that as well. So Gary, Smokey Dawson, thanks very much for being part of golf. Thanks mate. You're a good man. Cheers. Gary Dawson, a great Australian and a great Australian give up and, uh, and therefore, a, you know, just one of the great Australian stories. And I just am staggered to think how much golf he's actually played. Next week for golf, I think we'll look at the life of Jared Lyle through the eyes of one of his very good friends, and that's Paul Gow, who's one of my very good friends. Um, I did get an email during the week saying uh, it's uh, just over a year since Jared's passing. Maybe you could look at his life and tell us a bit more about it and what he was like. So that's the plan for next week. I hope it comes off for next week. If not, it'll be the week after and we'll something else in the interim. But thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. This is Golf. I'm Andrew Dado. See you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.